Welcome back to the Real Education Podcast with me, Tam Asfahani, and Chris Winston Longley. This is part two of our interview with Dr. Rachel Taylor, and we start off with the state of humanity before we venture back into the world of education. I do. I I I cry about the state of humanity, and that sounds so dramatic. And and you know, people, are, you know, but I, I do. I'm just like um, you can see where where it's going to end now. The good thing is, and you know, I don't want to be too depressing to people. You know, having um, a background in the classics, you, I've studied quite a lot of demise of civilization. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and the good thing is, you know, there's always the survivors. Things always emerge from the ashes. You know, so you don't want to get too much doom and gloom about it all. But but how did we not... let it get this far? I think that's the <clears> point. <throat> you know, we talk about history repeating itself. We talk about that you've studied the classics. This happened before. Why the hell yeah. haven't we learned from this? Why the hell are we not implementing our 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 knowledge that we do have into stopping this from happening again? Well, from from a if you want to talk sort of from a brain perspective, is that um, the the brain likes to be in a group. We are hardwired to be in groups, and <clears throat> most people, the majority, don't want to see or put their head in the sand. They don't actually want to to know what's going on. So. The, the majority are there. So when you get like-minded people who are in the minority, they're sort of sporadic, they're, they're, potty, they're sort of pots everywhere, and there's not enough to make it a, a change. And, you know, this is this is very much sort of from, from um, a brain perspective, we have the in-group, out-group. If you're in the out-group, you, you automatically get a stress, re- stress reaction, you get a stress response. So it, it's very difficult to, to live with that. So most, most people want to be part of the in-group. And, and that's just humanity. That's just how we are. There's very few people who um, have lots of practice at being in the out group and are comfortable with it, you know, and the in group at the moment, and, and it's um, interesting you talked about COVID times. Oh, they were such a, a horrendous time for me. And I'm only just realizing the, the amount of trauma that those times caused me. And probably not for the same amount of kind of trauma that it caused everybody else. It was like, for me, it was just like, what are, what are we doing? You know, and people are outraged at the COVID inquiry. I'm outraged that they're outraged. I'm like, you're outraged about the wrong things here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so that was a, re- that's a really good example of how in-group, out-group psychology was used to control the masses. The messaging was so strong. If you don't follow the rules, you are a bad human being, you are going to kill everybody, and you're not worthy to be a member of our society. That's how strong the messaging was. And it's we didn't get strong messaging to say, well, we're back to normal now. Everybody be kind to everybody. Everybody, you know, embrace everybody. Everybody can touch everybody. We didn't get strong messaging for that. So what's continued from those times is the same in-group, out-group, and it's been amplified and it's been um, extrapolated into many other parts of society. It's been weaponized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like we are, you know, in a a huge time, uh, and, you know, it's used over and over again, divide and conquer. Yes. Because when yeah. you are divided, you are all easy to manipulate, to control. And the people who are saying this is not right, you know, we, we are the we are the ones who are wrong. You know, I'm viewed when I talk about the education system to people, educators, I am viewed as the enemy. I was viewed as the enemy in COVID times. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing to children? 
it, you, you know, I, I, I've, at times I've, I've had to like sort of bring the um, vociferousness back, <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm like being attacked. And I, and I bring, I, we want the same thing, surely. Yeah. I, I use a bit of, you know, a bit of reverse, like, surely we want the same thing. But we don't. Because they can't say they don't. They can't no. say they don't. So surely we want the same thing here because we want happy, thriving, um, curious explorers of children. We want them to really um, love what they do, have, foster a, a love of learning. You know, surely we want the same thing. Knowing full well, as you, you know, as you point out, no, they don't. So knowing full well, I will, I will come in at that that line of um, surely we want the same thing because they can't say they don't. Can I just say my my word for that? And it does. It comes back to a point I was going to make earlier. Um, it's about agency. If you don't feel you have agency, then there is no point going away and researching. And you have to believe that you can actually make a change or that you can learn something. Or, yeah. um, And I do think, to go right back to the, a comment that was made about teachers at the beginning, and I thought, oh, I must just, I must just get in here. Um, and I, I'm critical of teachers, but I've also, having been one and having done that vocation and, and literally being one of the ones who burnt out, I, I retired yeah. from illness in the end because I couldn't sustain. I, I couldn't sustain doing what the kids needed within the system that was crippling me. And you and that and I, all the teachers I knew who were having strokes or heart attacks or burning out were all the ones who cared about children, which is why I get quite. I sort of think, well, if you're a manager and you're going home and you're fine and you're not overworking, then you don't really care about kids because the system doesn't allow that. And all I was going to say was that idea when you said you strike for money. Yeah, I, I do think that teachers, because of the government and successive governments, that they've lost any idea of agency. What else could they strike over if they if they said, look, the curriculum doesn't make any sense. It's exclusive. It's uh, as one of our other contributors to me says, it's it's patriarchal white middle class curriculum. Yeah. Um, it's like Michael Gove in a curriculum. It's like yeah. got well, let's not it, let's they've not, not bring got Michael, curriculum. Yeah, yeah let's <laughs> not bring. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we can we can <laughs> the whole conversation can go down. Yeah, yeah but, but that, that's Gove, just yeah. if you wanted to describe it as a person, if you wanted to personify it, that's what you do. What I'm saying is in that in that democracy. Sorry, in that democracy we were talking about, where the where the democracy is controlled by the media and the people are ill-informed or uninformed or whatever, or we, or we bring up conspiracy theories or all sorts of things that. Are thriving in order yeah. to keep everyone from from seeing yeah. what's what the truth. Yeah. um within that how how could teachers ever say look we, we don't think shakespeare is very good for these children in this school yeah. um and get any support from a populace who who don't understand the arguments and and the ideologies or the ethos of education they don't understand any of it the only thing they understand is money like, yeah. we don't get enough money to live, so we're striking for that reason. But yeah. the teachers are now being paid more money to damage children. And, yeah, yeah. And so, so the school system is still broken and damaging, but but the government can go, look, we, we gave you more money. We're fine. We support the system. And, yeah. and no one's criticising it still. So I get well, your I, point. I don't know who's going to... We can argue it, but look, where are we? We're, we're not making huge headway in the bbc media are we with you know no, I, yeah I, I think i think the only the only and this, it's really interesting when you talk about agency because i have you know my mission statement and my mission statement is i want to create a better and kinder world 
one brain at a time. And I have to have the one brain at a time because if I didn't, I would be every single day feeling discouraged, dispirited and thinking, what's the point? I'd have an existential crisis every single day. I have, I have one twice a year, which also coincides with my immune, my immune system clears out. It's quite interesting. So uh, twice a year I have this, oh, why am I doing what I'm doing? But because the rest of the time, <laughs> I'm quite fortunate in that. Um, and when I say one brain at a time, that makes it achievable. So I just want to just say this, and, and like I say, my um, youngest is not going to be going to secondary school, and my middle one is on a precipice. Very likely he will not be returning after Christmas. Um, and, and all I can do is create a better world for them. And in my opinion, I don't care really about the, what they're learning till, till next academic year, they're both showing signs of distress. And this is really interesting because I see children who are showing signs of distress and Parents and teachers are desperate to get a label on them because that's the only way they can get extra help from in the classroom. They've not got ADHD. They've not got oppositional defiance disorder. They've not got it. They're distressed children. And, and the moment we need to recognize that. And, and what I can do to create a better world for my children, to foster critical thinkers in my children, is to do that. It's not going to be easy. I work full time. Um, you know, you're meant to do at least 15 hours a teacher. I can, I can manage that. I'm quite lucky though, because of my learning, I'm fortunate. But if parents really do want to make a difference, then they can be fortunate themselves and, and apply some of their knowledge. When you are looking at alternative provisions for children, it doesn't, you're lucky, it doesn't specify about the curriculum. You know, you only have to do the curriculum if you want them to do GCSEs. And, and let me just, tell any parents, give them a GCSE revision book. <laughs> that's sort of, you'll, you'll get a pretty decent mark just by learning the revision book. That, that, and that's coming from me as a, as a teacher. <laughs> you know, they sort of waste about two or three years. I was like, last week, I'm pretty sure I could get them through the basic GCSEs before the 14. I think I'm there's a sure statistic that. somewhere that says that the if you're in a conventional school, you only take away 45 minutes of learning from the day anyway. So that's yeah. six or seven yeah. hours. So yeah, exactly. So it kind of it re it yeah. reiterates that point. And you don't need to retain any of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is just so, it. So it's just, just yeah. it. I, I learned, I mean, I've, I'm always saying this to me because I did O-levels mm -hmm. and I was one of those difficult children in school. And I would imagine teachers hated me. Um, maybe that's a disservice. Maybe I, I imagine they hated me. But they... I just had things, they were called keynotes, and they came in a little plastic wallet, and yeah. they were just little cards. And I literally learned them the night before the exam, went in, did the exam, passed it. And, but I'd done nothing. I was always told every report, Longley is failing yet again. He does no work. He's going to fail. He's not going to get anywhere. And then after the exams, it'd be, oh, Longley pulled his socks up. And I think, no, I didn't. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I read the you keynotes yeah. the night before, and I forgot them the day after. Yeah, it's just re recall to test. That's all. Yeah. That's all it is, and and that's why they're so keen on working memory. <laughs> you know, improve the working memory. Why they're memory. so so keen on Oak Academy and AI now because mm -hmm. they're, they're is, testing yeah. and all the rest, and they can they can drive their knowledge based yeah. curriculum rather than skills yeah. based uh, or thinking based or critical thinking yeah. based. They they can drive that because when you've got a video teaching children, there is yeah. no longer any interaction. The dehumanization is almost yeah, complete. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's my uh, fear of Oak Academy. I'll get that in now on the thing. Yeah. I have a yeah. fear of Oak Academy 
getting yeah. bigger and bigger and that's the model that we're going to follow well and I, I think for me as a you know as a professional this is really important to me but more so as a human being it's like if you are a parent what kind of child do you want to yeah. have and how is that child going to grow into the adult that they could be um and i think that this is this is a really important um sort of you know thing for people to think about because the landscape has changed a lot from when um you know parents were children you know in a very quick time it's done that so it's not the same as when we were at school nowhere near the same the prospects are not the same and you know i, I sort of say to to people in you know people in my family i, I I don't really care about, I, I'm, to be honest, you know, I know that when I was a child, like GCSE gradings and A-level gradings and getting to university, that was so important. It was important for me with, with my eldest daughter. But now it's well-being that's important. And because, and maybe this is a plus to the system because now university has been monetized. It's pretty easy to get into a foundation degree, even if you've not got any GCSEs available. So you, you're not sort of squashing your chances if you don't follow the traditional route to university and if your if your child is showing signs of distress or if you know you're really concerned about the you know so the the narrow vision and of the school curriculum or even worse how it does it crushes the spirits it literally drains the life out of children if you're concerned about that then you know, it's time to get the, the children out. And instead of worrying about school lessons and how are they going to, you know, be able to pass French A-level or whatever, you know, things that really don't matter. Think about how well they're going to be in the future because this is really interesting. When, when I did my PGC, so we're coming back full circle. When I did my PGC, my research project was on what predicted um, achievement and engagement and at the time, resilience, which is, an, uh, please get me back on to talk about resilience. We, we, we actually, you know what, we, we hate that word resilience. <laughs> oh, um, but, yeah. And we've got please somebody else with Fiona Murphy to talk about resilience and how actually it perpetuates damage. But yeah, we oh, will. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, neuroscience of resilience is nothing like organisational definition of resilience. It's, you know, proper resilience is not how you bounce back from adversity or keep on going when time's hard. Absolutely. Proper resilience is, is how you foster plasticity in the brain, your human connections and what meaning you place in experience. That's neuroscience resilience. So I, I chose resilience or well-being, which actually um, predicts achievement or engagement. And resilience didn't. No. How, how well that child was actually predicted how well they did and looking at the majority of children they're not going to achieve what they should achieve because they're not well and and then literally they'll be on that i'm not good enough i'm stupid i i you know i need to be punished i need to be treated badly i'm going to internalize all of that and then i'm going to start self-harming then i'm going to control what i eat because that's the only control i've got uh, all of this and it's been perpetuated by from a very young age going back to that mother who cried because no teacher had ever said anything good about her son because from the age of four and possibly before they've been given a label and that label has never been taken off them and i think that's that's one of the key problems we've got so if if you are a, and, and i'm struggling with this because of my social conditioning you know with education it's like oh, my beloved education but it's it's alien to me it's not 
not anything like I've ever seen before. It's the most hostile of environments. I do a lot of research on how um, people's behaviors, genetics actually interact with the environment and, and what that means and how we can manipulate the environment. I have never operated in an environment that's as hostile as what we have in the UK right now. Never mind what they do with immigrants. This is the most hostile environment that anybody has to operate in. And those are our children. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned that the uh, education system if personified was Michael Gove. I would argue that it's actually Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it is, and, and Michael Gove is, is the uh, trumpeteer behind it. But you, you, yeah. what you're saying is absolutely, I mean, it, it absolutely is in line. We need to look at the way in which we are damaging children and we need to teach them how to learn how to be better individuals, how to be the individual that they want to be using yeah. the cultural wealth that's relevant yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, and, and I suppose, yeah, something, something else that's really interesting as well. And it goes back to Chris asking me sort of my, um, my reward and, and motivation. I think, um, I, I think that I'm passionate about, quite a few things no you're not and that no, is okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know I went, I, I went back back in many many years ago it feels like in a different life I was in a senior management development center I used to write policy for government and um it didn't matter that I was the only person to analyze data and produce a report in half an hour you know none of my skills mattered what mattered was that my passion was intimidating and at the time wow. I wrote policy for the most deprived, disenfranchised people in society. I, I was in charge of writing policy for asylum seekers, about asylum seekers, about the most uh, vulnerable, prolific offenders. And I was like, I was staggered. And I looked at this, this woman and I just went, my passion is intimidating. If I can't be passionate about people who have nothing and want to make changes for them, you know, when can you be passionate? Yeah. And she just said, I, I advise you to get out before they actually stab you in the back and get you out. You know, so I did. <laughs> so, so that's it. So I'm very passionate about, and, and I think when you look at, and again, the, the um, you know, the, the root of the passion is to suffer, you know, and I think I'm prepared to suffer to achieve something that I believe in. And, and I don't think many people actually understand. And I think we need to sort of, part of the, um, <laughs> the re the reprogramming of children when we bring them out of the system is to teach them how to be passionate about something that everything's not always nice and light and mary poppins and and jumping and uh, let me entertain you is that we the that we can become really good human beings by being passionate about something that we believe in and, and that needs to that needs to be modeled more and more i think absolutely chris absolutely yes any yeah. final thoughts? I, do, I, do, I just end up. <laughs> no, I just end up. I, do, I so love it. I know we're all patting each other on the back, but I love it when when we, I mean, really, we need to be arguing points. And instead, I'm just sitting here going, yes. No, yes. you see, I don't think we do. I think the point is, is that what we're trying to do, this is a real education podcast, right? This is something that we need to be talking about that may not necessarily be recognized or appreciated or, or even seen by the individuals people's teachers you know it's very hard when you're in the mix to step out and look at it now I, I don't think it is about patting on the back and it's not about propaganda it's not about kind of self-promoting it's about these are real discussions happening with real people with real professionals you know we've got a doctor of neuroscience and a teacher and we've got you with 25 years of teaching as head of curriculum and head of you know 
these are the, these it comes back to that go thing of we're fed up of experts right no we're not fed up of experts we actually need the experts to tell us what we need to be doing in the same way that when rachel was in the classrooms talking about neurodiversity talking about neuroscience talking about the acquisition of knowledge and what are they doing why the hell aren't they listening to her when you're in the classroom talking to your department about changing a program of study or a scheme of work because it's not relatable when you've got 12 year old children 12 year old girls reading books about rape and, and everything else what relevance is that on their life and how does that fit these are questions that need to be asked so i don't think we're patting ourselves on the back i think what we're doing is trying to bring these conversations to the fore that if anybody hears them that actually maybe we can we can give them a bit of an ask them questions yeah. that they can they can then start asking questions yeah. too i think it's interesting I, I that sorry no i was just gonna say the thing is um is that i'd love to have discussions with people who have the opposite viewpoint to me of course but but they won't talk they, to you they, they won't i get shut down we're not going to debate this no exactly we're not going to debate it this is that idea. So it's, I, I would all day long i would sit and i would want to because i find that's healthy this is something else that's happened as well in in the past few years in that about 10 15 years ago you could have a discussion with someone who was absolute opposite in opinion and this is what people wanted if you were creating something new, if you were um, writing a strategy, writing a policy, you wanted everybody's viewpoints on the table. And then what you could come out with was something that was a collaboration yeah. that took into account everybody's different viewpoints. And then you, you came to a meeting of the minds and yeah, that's not gonna be achievable. That's not gonna be achievable. But this in the middle can be achievable. We've not got that anymore. No, and there's, this is echo no chambers, echo chambers yeah. propaganda. I mean, we, we can talk. I mean, yeah. that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. The rise of flat earthers and anti-vaxxers, yeah. and you know, all yeah. of this stuff is 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 a, a direct result of that ignorance. Yeah. And that yeah. that needs to be validated by people that will validate you, regardless of the yeah. science or the truth. Yeah. Behind yeah, it. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. It's, well, it's just interesting that, that, that the government are a vanguard for free speech, according to them. And you know, the last thing we're allowed to do is speak freely. Um, we well, can, as long as they agree with what you're saying, Chris. Long, yes. Yeah. And as long as you're not contentious or. Yeah. And, but that, yeah, I mean, you were talking about, uh, in the end, what, what democracy should produce is a compromise that is okay for most people. And there should be a realization that. It's not going to satisfy everyone. It's it's not going to be Nirvana or whatever, but it is going to, it's going to work and it's going to satisfy people. And they'll know that they're part of that process. And if they don't quite like it, they've got an opportunity to change it or, but we don't have that anymore. But interestingly, in the checkpoint lessons that we write, that is at the heart of it. Yeah. And I'm beginning to realize more and more from, from when we're in classrooms and things, I keep putting into the lesson plan, it says, ask the children at this point, yeah. talk to yeah. the children, debate with the children, trying to bring them in. And I've realized more and more that Checkpoint are going to have to write some sort of guidebook about how teachers use open questioning because they can't do it anymore. The other thing is, and it, again, we, we sort of go round all the time into the, the our arguments sort of uh, go back into each other. If you've got teachers that are under an oppressive workload and are stressed and all the rest and are trying to get that target of GCSEs before Ofsted walk through the door and shut them down and all the rest, then when a child asks a question, you go, yeah, 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 but we haven't got time, just learn it. 
Yeah, but why yeah. are you doing algebra? Doesn't matter. No, no, you need it later. Just, just. Yeah. Touch it. And then when you get to sixteen, you go, hang on, I didn't need it. Yeah. Why yeah. Did yeah. I need it? <laughs> you yeah. 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 Well, I, I think the worst thing is when you get to A level physics and they say, forget what you learned at GCSE because that wasn't yeah. true. Yeah. It gets worse I at university. Say, I had the same. I had the yeah, same that's the worst lie ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to take, I'd like to guide this just a tiny bit, because something you said right at the beginning about science, but also the arts, and you didn't mention the arts, but you were talking about not just being a scientist. Yeah. And I always talk about Terry Gifford, who was, I went to Bretton Hall College before the government shut it down, because it was too open-ended and free-thinking and all the rest. Um, and I went there, and I did my PGCE there under a man called Terry Gifford, who was a poet and an English teacher and very pragmatic. He was a mountaineer as well. And he did wonderful things with us. And one of the guys he introduced us to, and I've put it on the chat. I'm going to send it to you on the chat. And it's a poem by Miroslav Holub, who was a scientist, but he wrote poetry. And it was, I was introduced to that. And he said, there is no difference between art and science. Yeah. There is, and my son, who has an MA in, uh, in physics um said because i said i don't get maths and he said that's because it's an art he, he said when you get to the top of maths it's an art form it's not yeah. what you think it is yeah yeah um and i could never get my head around any of that but i just thought the miroslav holub thing was was yeah. just it sort of sums you up if i may say such a thing because i think you do go and open doors to me i might want to put this on the on the the website or whatever yeah. on the podcast or yeah. maybe i'll read it later or something but yeah that idea of opening the door just go yeah. and open doors all the time yeah. ask the questions open the doors and yeah. see where you get to don't be frightened of doing that don't ever be frightened of getting anything wrong either you know, we we learn more from from everything that we get wrong, and 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 this is like I think people, uh, and this is something else that they're sort of indoctrinating in children that children are scared of getting things wrong, they're scared of not getting it right, they're scared of you know what, and it's just like don't ever be frightened of getting things wrong. You know, most famous inventors got it wrong a million times before they actually got it right, but in not getting it wrong, they discovered many other things as well. You know, and I just want to give a shout. I might be a scientist, you know, um, you know, from a, a, a classist background, but I want to give a shout out to all the um, people who still have a love of the arts because this is something else that's being shut down in in universities. My um, my daughter's partner has just started a PhD in English literature. Is doing um, study on uh, T. S. Eliot, which I think is a very apt, um, <laughs> very apt. He's talking about the um, deconstruction of hope. Um, I, I don't like hope, and that, and that again is a, is a different uh, <laughs> podcast. Um, but I, I think that we are taking away that that um, ability to express ourselves, the ability to um, understand and, and use different media in order to get a point across, in order to um, for people to know how we're feeling, you know, and, and that is is a travesty. It's like that, you know, there's no funding for, for English students. There's no funding. Um, we're distilling for, everything uh, to emojis, if, if I may. That's what we're doing. Yeah. We're distilling everything yeah. to emojis and not being able to communicate our truth. Yeah. And, uh, the, and uh, the shared yeah. understanding of the emoji is what the establishment wants us to believe yeah. the truth, yeah. which, which it isn't. Yeah. It's interesting what you say there, because it takes back to something you said earlier on, where you said knowledge is power. 
Yeah. And I made a note that I used to say to the students when they said, why are we doing English? I said, because when you can articulate what you think, you yeah. will have power, you will have agency. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's the thing that in the arts give us power. And that's what yeah. they don't want us as Tamir. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. this the day. The first thing dictators do in a country is shoot all the poets and the artists, and yeah. they take away the thinkers immediately. Yeah, yeah, and 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 this is and, and you know one one of my um, major um, sources of of sadness in the past few years is how my uh, my area. You know, I, I'm a I'm a neuroscientist. I work in the world of science, and science was distilled to a dogma, and it was like. This cannot, there's no such thing as the science because the beauty of science is that there is no the science. There is a collection of ideas, of hypotheses that in some conditions get proven and other conditions are disproved. And, and that's the magic of the universe in, is that we live in, you know, ever shifting sands so that what might work in, in one context is not going to work in another context. And, and that's the beauty of it is that we learn how to operate. And, th and this, you know, maybe people need to sort of have a reminder of what what the definition of intelligence is. The definition of intelligence intelligence is the ability to cope within an environment. So the more that we have a toolkit that expands us, the more intelligent we are, and that's why I think intelligence is being taken away, because. If you have the ability to adapt, if you have the ability to be flexible, if you have the ability to have plasticity in the brain, then you can adapt to anything, and they don't the system doesn't want you to adapt it wants you to be in a, in a very narrow silo of this is where you belong this is what's going to happen and to that's you. perpetuated in schools where you yeah. silo subject matters and you do not bring in a holistic approach to um, yeah. subjects that allow you to communicate and understand them yeah. and contextualize them better yeah. Guys, yeah. we're going to have to wrap this up because it's been an hour and 20 minutes on the recording. Um, but look, um, Dr. Rachel Taylor, it's a pleasure to have you on. We will get you on again if you're up for it. We'll, 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 yeah, yeah, we'll, absolutely. There are, there are a number absolutely. of things that we could uh, bring you in on. And um, But thank you so much for your incredible insight um, and your experience. I mean, it's... Again, it's really important that the, the people that know what they're talking about get an opportunity to talk about what they know. And for somebody like you who has got a growth mindset, who absolutely lives what we hope the future of our um, children will be, that goes off and, and is in, invested in, in the things they want, you know, I absolutely, and I'm sure Chris does absolutely commend you. And, and we would love to bring you on to talk about resilience, to talk about how we can yeah. better learn about the neuroscience of learning. I think there's, there's a yeah. whole other conversation yeah. there that we can be having. So thank yeah. you for your time. Um, thank Chris, you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's always great. And Chris, thank you so much as always for, um, for guiding uh, the conversation in a, in a more professional way when it comes to teaching, because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just talking from experience. Um, the <laughs> poem will post in the link below. There'll be a link to Dr. Rachel Taylor's website as well uh, in the description below. So make sure you check her out. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.